Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. Ian Cook was at home in Brighton, East Sussex on the morning of August 25th, 2016 when his phone rang. The caller was his 21-year-old son, Ash. Ash told his father he had been struggling to contact his girlfriend, 19-year-old Shana Grice. She was not answering her phone, and to compound matters, Shana had failed to show up for work. Unable to leave his shift, Ash asked his father to go and check on Shana at her home on Christery Road. Ian agreed and got ready to go out. He knew something was wrong as soon as he pulled up outside the property. He saw smoke billowing out from the front door, which was ajar. Aware of the growing blaze, Ian rushed inside and called out to Shana. After receiving no response, he quickly made his way to Shana's bedroom, but as he attempted to gain entry, Ian found that something was blocking the door. Yeah, well, just as long you just just don't do it again. And if you come near the house again, I'll... I'll come near the house again, I will contact you again, okay? I just, I think that, I think that's best, because it's just going to keep on going around this vicious circle, isn't it? Welcome to Season 7, Episode 42 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime.
Shana Grice was described by her loved ones as kind and caring. She and Ash had been dating on and off for around three years. They had developed a deep love for one another despite the inconsistent nature of their relationship. Ash said that he was sure they would get married one day, and they had even chatted about the possibility of having children and what they would call them. Wesley for a boy, and Summer for a girl. Ash said of his partner, Shana was the nicest person you could ever wish to meet. She wasn't just beautiful. She was kind and would go out of the way to help others. Shana had not been living in the property on Christery Road for long. She and two friends had moved in just a couple of months earlier, and Shana took on the role of being the parental figure in the household. Speaking with a reporter for the Argus newspaper, Sean Best said, It was like we were her kids, and she was the mother. Another friend, Angela Stebbings, remarked, She was lovely. She liked to get on with everybody, really. She was a very friendly and bubbly kind of person. Shana worked at Palmer and Harvey, a local cash and carry, where she was known to be courteous and hard-working. On August 24, 2016, Ash Cook stayed overnight at Shana's. He awoke the next morning at around 7am, kissed her goodbye and headed out to work as a kitchen fitter. Shana and Ash had arranged to meet for dinner the following night. Afterwards, they were planning on attending a family wedding. Ash was well into his shift when around three hours later, he received a phone call from one of Shana's colleagues. They informed him that Shana had not shown up for work, nor had she called in to explain why. It had now been two hours since Shana was scheduled to begin her shift, but all calls to her mobile phone went unanswered and her housemates had left for work. An overwhelming sense of fear passed over Ash. He knew that Shana recently had problems with a stalker, so he called his father Ian and asked him to go and check on her. Ian Cook hopped in his car and drove the short distance to Shana's home. Straight away he could see smoke coming from the property, so he ran through the front door and called out to Shana, but there was no answer. Heading upstairs, Ian attempted to open Shana's bedroom, but the door would not budge. When he looked down at the source of the obstruction... He could see a piece of cardboard wedged to keep the bedroom door closed. By this point, the fumes and smoke from the growing fire began to overwhelm Ian, so he went back outside to catch his breath and re-entered the smoke-filled home. He ran full force at Shana's bedroom door, which flung open. Inside, he saw Shana lying motionless on her bed. Ian would later recall what happened in court. Ian 
I saw the bed, and at first I thought it was just a duvet. Then I realised there was a body on the bed. I was shouting out for Sean. I then saw her face down, arms to the side. Ian Cook escaped from the burning home and waited for firefighters and the police to arrive. Once the flames were extinguished, an examination of the scene began. Immediately, police observed that Shana Grice had met a violent end before the fire had started. She lay in a pool of blood, some of which was seeping down her neck, staining her clothing. Underneath Shana's body, the police recovered a damaged fire alarm. They also found numerous cleaning wipes scattered around her bedroom. Shana's remains were removed from the home and taken to be examined by a home office pathologist. A post-mortem revealed that her throat had been cut. Back at the home, scene of crime officers examined the property while sniffer dogs combed the street tracking behind the homes which led to gardens and garages. During their search, officers found a large footprint in blood on the back doorstep. A thorough examination of the inside of the home uncovered that the fire had been set with some kind of accelerant. The investigation into the horrific killing began in earnest, as news quickly spread throughout the community and on social media. Friends posted tributes to Shana on Facebook, expressing their disbelief and heartache at such a senseless loss. Shana's parents Sharon Grice and Richard Green thanked Ash and his family for their support after the murder of their only child. As is the case with most murders, those closest to the victim were interviewed by the police. One name came up repeatedly, and the authorities already had an inkling about their prime suspect. Shana had contacted the police about him before. By the afternoon, the Sussex Constabulary announced that they had arrested a 27-year-old mechanic from Portslade on suspicion of murder. His name was Michael Lane. Before Shana began working at Palmer and Harvey, she was employed as a receptionist for Brighton Fire Alarms on Four Down Drive in Portslade. It was while working there in 2015 that she met Michael Lane. At the time, Shana's relationship with Ash was on and off, and she struck up a friendship with Lane. Over time, this friendship progressed into something more, and in the summer they began dating in secret. While this affair was ongoing, Shana told Ash that at work, Lane was, quote, a bit flirty and complained that he was pestering her. The secret relationship between Shana and Lane was marred by Lane's obsessive and jealous nature. 
The following year, on February 8, 2016, Shana called Sussex Police and in a worried tone said, I don't really know how to start this conversation, but I think I'm being stalked. While Shana and Lane were romantically involved, she shared her fears that he was following her and letting the air out of her car tyres. She explained that one afternoon she had left her parents' home and observed Lane hiding behind a nearby wall. On several other occasions, Shana had noticed that Lane had been following her as she went to and from work. Although then, Shana's relationship with Ash was complicated, he would come to understand why she was fearful. Ash witnessed Lane following Shana, before he saw Lane lurking in an alleyway near her home. Ash confronted him. Shana's partner later recalled, He was standing there. I asked what he was doing down there. He replied, I'm allowed to be down here. At the beginning of that year, somebody had damaged Ash's car and left behind a note which read, Dear Ash, Shana has always and always will cheat on you. Happy New Year. Despite a report to the police, nothing was done to protect Shana. With no intervention, Lane's obsession only continued to escalate. Shortly after Shana made the report, she complained to her housemate and colleague Emma King that Lane was constantly texting and calling her. Emma was unaware that Shana and Lane were in a sexual relationship. She encouraged Shana to talk to one of the company directors about the situation. On March 24th, five months before she would be found dead, Shana had gone to a party at the Mile Oak pub with her two housemates. Later that night, Shana returned home alone, but a couple of hours later her two housemates returned, accompanied by Michael Lane. An argument between Shana and Lane ensued, and Shana stormed out of the home with Lane pursuing her close behind. While briskly walking down the street trying to get away from Lane, Shana attempted to make a phone call to Ash. Lane rushed up behind her and yanked her by the hair. It just so happened that three people sitting in a car nearby witnessed the incident before rushing over to see what was happening and defending Shana. The group of Good Samaritans then drove Shana over to Ash's home and she told Ash and his parents what had happened with Lane. They immediately contacted the police. When officers arrived, Lane denied Shana's accusations and said he and Shana were in a romantic relationship. He produced his mobile phone and showed the officers the numerous text messages between himself and Shana and showed that they were involved. The police simply assumed that Shana and Lane had a lover's tiff and again, no further action was taken against Lane. 
However, Shana Grice was issued with a fixed penalty notice for failing to disclose to the police that she and Lane were romantically involved and for having, quote, caused wasteful employment of police by making a false report. Essentially, Shana had been treated as the perpetrator and Lane was treated as the victim. This incident occurred just a month after Shana reported Lane for stalking and causing damage to her car. Housemate and colleague Emma King would also become aware of the secret relationship between Shana and Lane. She had been at a work party when Lane told her of the situation. Emma initially believed that Lane was just making things up, but to back up his story, he showed Emma numerous text messages between himself and Shana. Upon learning the truth, Emma was upset because she felt that everything Shana told her about her relationship with Lane was false. She even accompanied Shana to report that Lane was harassing her. The relationship between Shana and Lane continued behind Ash's back until April 2016, when Shana broke up with Ash and admitted seeing Lane behind his back. She had been doing so for almost a year. By July, Shana Grice realised that she had made a huge mistake leaving Ash for Michael Lane. She called off the relationship with Lane and asked Ash if he would take her back. He agreed, and they tried to put a very difficult period behind them. However, Michael Lane had other plans. He had already displayed a propensity for violence and obsession, but this would only escalate further now that Shana had ended their relationship. Shortly after the breakup, Lane showed up at Shana's home to retrieve some of his belongings. While doing so, he stole the key to the back door. In the early morning hours, Shana was awoken by the sound of footsteps approaching her bedroom. She pulled the duvet over her head and listened intently as she heard a man breathing heavily in her bedroom. Shana stayed as still as physically possible, and when she was satisfied that whoever it was had left her bedroom, she quickly got up and ran over to the window. As she glanced outside, Shana saw Michael Lane walking away from the property. In the morning, Shana called Lane to confront him. So, one question that's really bugging me. Why did you take the key in the first place? Yeah, but that... I wanted to see you yeah, but that's not good because it's putting us in danger. You could have flipped at any point. What about no, if? I uh, what about if I took? What about if I took someone home or something, and then you came in and saw that I was with someone else? Oh, I just wouldn't, I just wouldn't have left. Well, you, but you left anyway. Yeah, I know I did. But it's just. 
It's just, I yeah, you, you had no right at all to... I know I didn't. I know I've got no right or nothing. I know that. Well, I, I still, I, you need to apologise to the girls because it is, it's out of order. Yeah, I know. During the call, Lane said to Shana that something obviously was not right in his head, and suggested that he needed to be locked up. He begged Shana not to tell anybody about the disturbing incident and they ended the conversation by agreeing that they would break off all contact and put an end to what Shana described as a vicious circle. Shana and Lane agreed that he would return the back door key at 1pm, and after hanging up, Shana called the police and asked them to be at her home for 1pm as well. When Lane arrived to hand back the key, officers from the Sussex Constabulary were waiting for him. He handed over the key and was arrested. Lane was interviewed, and he admitted that he had taken the key. He said he simply took it because he wanted to talk to Shana. He claimed that upon entering her bedroom, he realised what he had done was wrong, and turned around and left. Police cautioned Michael Lane, but no other action was taken, and he was allowed to leave the police station with nothing more than a slap on the wrist. The following day, Shana called the police once more. She had been receiving phone calls from a withheld number. Seven calls had been made throughout the day, and each time she picked up, she could hear somebody breathing heavily, but they never said a word. She knew that it was Michael Lane, but the police told Shana that there were no further lines of inquiry and the case would be left on file. Shana Grice was distraught. She knew that Lane was becoming more and more disturbed in his behaviour, However, the authorities were not taking her report seriously. She and her housemates immediately changed the locks and became much more cautious about their safety. Despite this, Shana began to notice that Michael Lane was starting to follow her again, even more so than he had done in the past. Whenever she left home, he was lurking somewhere nearby. He followed her to and from work and even stalked her on errands to the supermarket. In early August, several weeks before Michael Lane would be arrested on suspicion of murder, he wrote a letter to Shana demanding that she pay him back at least a couple of hundred pounds for things that he had purchased during their relationship such as park tickets, meals and gifts. Two days after this incident, Shana noticed that he was following her as she was driving her car. Around the same time, Lane complained to a friend that Shana had left him for Ash. He then chillingly commented, She'll pay for what she's done. The stalking continued, and most mornings when Shana went out to her car, Lane would be there waiting. 
Shana confided to friends that she wanted to report him to the police again, but she feared she would not be taken seriously and officers would think she was blowing things out of proportion. In a conversation with a friend, Joan Pumphrey, Shana voiced her suspicions that Lane had put some kind of tracking device on her car. No matter where she went, Michael Lane knew where she was. It just so happened Shana and Joan had been travelling to her home when they saw Lane walking toward the property. As they drove past, he ducked into a driveway and pretended to knock on the front door of a home nearby. On August 21st, Shana Grice reported Lane to the police once more for stalking. When making the report, she said, I'm scared to even leave my house. I have to look up and down the road before I even walk to my car. I have changed my route to work and he's still following me. The incident was treated as low risk and Michael Lane was never contacted by the police or issued a caution. Shana Grice was once more left to deal with the terrifying scenario alone, and four days later, she would be dead. Before then, on August 23rd, Shana had agreed to meet with Michael Lane at Langford's Hotel. Lane claimed to a friend that the two had intercourse, or as Shana told friends that they had only spoken and agreed to go their separate ways once and for all. Lane later sent a text message to Shana that read, We both know we can't be together. There has to be a total end, as hard as it may be for both of us. The next day, A CCTV camera from a Sainsbury's forecourt in Hove captured Michael Lane, filling a petrol can with fuel. Police investigating Shana Grice's murder quickly learned from friends, family and even police files of the ominous history between Shana and Michael Lane. He's seen the most likely suspect but following his arrest, Lane staunchly denied any involvement in Shana's murder. So at about five, um, sorry, 9.45 yesterday morning, uh, Shana Grice was found dead in her bedroom. Tell me what happened to her. Well, when her body was found, it was clear that someone had assaulted her and they'd tried to set fire to her body. Tell me what you know about what happened to her yesterday. I don't only know what I've been told since being in here. Michael Lane told the police that on the morning of the murder, he had awoken, showered and then gone for a walk in Thornhill Rise in Portslade, just over half a mile from the property where Shana lived. He said that he stopped at the McCall shop on Valley Road to purchase a bottle of water and then returned home. According to Lane, he then showered for a second time, as on his walk, he had become sweaty. 
Afterwards, he claimed that he drove to another McCall's shop to check a lottery ticket he had purchased the night before. Nain said he then sat around waiting for a dentist appointment before visiting his grandmother. Lane believed he arrived at work at around noon, and then police officers arrested him at 1.50pm. Just the day after Lane was taken into custody, it was announced that he had been released on bail pending further inquiries. Detective Superintendent Jason Taylor said, This remains an ongoing investigation and has understandably come as a shock to the local community. The detective also asked the public to get in contact if they had seen or heard anything suspicious around the same time as the murder. While Michael Lane was the main suspect in Shana Grice's murder, the police needed to gather more evidence if they wanted to charge him. They had been made aware of Shana's fears that a tracking device might have been placed on her car, so they had the vehicle thoroughly examined. The police discovered that Shana was right. The tracker was attached to the underside of the car. A search warrant was obtained for Lane's home, and inside they discovered an empty box for the tracking device, along with a receipt in his name. When asked about the item, Lane first of all claimed that he had purchased it for himself to cut his insurance premiums. However, the investigators were not buying their story. Lane eventually broke down and admitted that he had attached it to Shana's car so that he could know where she was. He then told police that the tracking device's battery only lasted for 10 days. Whenever the battery had run out, he would go to Shana's home late at night to take the battery home and charge it, before reattaching it hours later. Police were still seeking forensic evidence to connect Lane to the murder, when a phone call came in from a woman named Lorraine Ball, who saw something suspicious. Lorraine had seen a picture of Michael Lane on the news when he was arrested in connection with Shana's murder. She told the police that she had spotted Lane standing on a path that led to New Barn Farm in Portslade. He was acting tense and nervous. When the police arrived at the scene, they began a search, working on the theory that Lane was hiding evidence. Tucked away in a hedgerow running alongside the path, officers came across a pair of white Lonsdale trainers spattered with blood. Michael Lane was re-arrested. This time he was charged with the murder of Shana Grice. By now, the police had recovered more CCTV footage which called into question Michael Lane's version of events from the morning it was believed Shana was killed. 
Cameras near Lane's home had captured him leaving in his car at 7.25am. Further footage from a CCTV camera showed Lane walking near where Sharna lived. He was carrying what appeared to be a blue plastic bag. Lane then appeared on CCTV near Sharna's home again at 8.04am. Based on text messages... The police believe Shana had been killed at some point between 7.25am and 8am. Later that morning, CCTV captured somebody wearing a high-vis jacket and a hoodie, withdrawing £60 from Shana's account. The figure looked remarkably like Michael Lane. It suggested he was attempting to conceal his identity. Curiously, when Lane's car was searched, £60 in £20 notes was recovered. After being presented with the evidence, Lane changed his story. He claimed that he had been at Shana's home that morning. You ain't going to believe me, but it's up to you. In the, in the morning, I did go to Shana's. After I'd been to uh, Valley Road shops, yeah, and I was seen going back and parked up. When I went past her road, her car was still there. Okay, which I knew was odd because she was meant to be. I knew she had started work at half eight, and that was about the time. It was about twenty past eight, so I knew she was about to have left for work. Lane said he was driving past the property and noticed her car was parked outside, so he decided to stop by. According to Lane, Shana's front door was open. So I went... I went round, walked round there, the door was open. The front door was not open. Wide open or unlocked? No, it was open. No, it wasn't wide open, but it was like half... Okay. Half open. So I went in there. Her, her bedroom door was open, half open again, and she was on the floor. Lane said that he entered the property and found Shana dead on the bedroom floor, propped up against her bed. Lane explained there was blood around her mouth and a puddle of blood on the floor. He said there was no smoke or fire and left quickly. Lane described how he feared he would be blamed for Shana's death because of their history. Tell me about your thought process then, about what made you think, right, rather than just calling the police in the ambulance, I'm going to just leave. Because I was scared. I didn't know what... I'd never seen a dead body. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know... Okay, so let's, let's, so let's go with this idea that you're scared. Talk me through that. What were you scared would happen? Well, the police would turn up and think that I did it. The day after Michael Lane was rearrested, he appeared in court, where he was formally charged with Shana Grice's murder. He only spoke to confirm his name, address and date of birth 
and to confirm he understood the charge against him. Lane pleaded not guilty, and a trial was scheduled for the following year. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code AMONGUS for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. On March 8, 2017, Michael Lane's murder trial began at Lewis Crown Court. During opening statements, Philip Bennett's QC told the jury about the complicated relationship between Lane and Shana Grice. The prosecutor described how after Shana broke up with Lane, he became even more obsessed and began following her every movement. 
and it's pause for a moment to allow the jury to take everything in. Then continued, that obsession with her translated into killing her. He would not allow anyone else to be with her. The prosecutor recounted the earlier incident where Lane stole Shana's back door key and crept into her bedroom. Then it said to the court, He admitted in interview he had taken the key and had gone into her room. This is his account. To talk to her, but upon entry realised it was wrong and left. Among the first witnesses to testify was Shana's partner Ash Cook and his father Ian, who described the morning of Shana's murder and the grim discovery inside the home. Shana's housemate Emma King testified next. She told the jury how she had accompanied Shana to complain about Lane to one of the directors at Brighton Fire Alarms. And across examination, Defence Counsel Simon Russell Flint QC stated, Throughout this time, there was a pretense by Shana. They were, in fact, in a relationship. Flint argued that while Shana may have complained to Emma and Ash about the bombardment of text messages and phone calls from Lane, she was responding to them in an affectionate and encouraging way. Testimony then turned to the incident where Lane stole Shana's back door key. Lane's barrister suggested that Shana had let him in through the window. However, her housemate Angela Stebbings refuted this, saying that by this point, Shana was terrified of Michael Lane and would never have invited him in. Furthermore, Lane was found with the missing back door key in his pocket and he confessed to taking it when the police questioned him the following day. Forensic evidence was presented with the prosecutor explaining that DNA recovered on the blood-stained white Lonsdale trainers discarded in a hedgerow by Michael Lane had come back as a match to Shana Grice. The pattern on the sole of the shoe also matched a bloody footprint found on Shana's doorstep. Further DNA testing of the wipes recovered from Shana's bedroom came back as a match to both Shana and Michael Lane. According to expert witness Dr Kim Edwards, there was evidence that Shana and Lane could have had intercourse at some point before the murder. Dr. Edwards could not conclusively say when this had taken place, however added that it might have been on the morning of the murder, or even two days prior when they met at a local hotel. The witness stated, We found a complete profile matching Michael Lane. It could indicate sex on August 25th, but could equally be on August 23rd. There are a few possible explanations. Maintaining his innocence, 
Michael Lane took the stand. He admitted to stealing Shana's back door key and entering her home as she slept, but claimed he had done so because he wanted to ask her why she had ended their relationship so abruptly. Lane also confessed that he had fitted a tracking device to Shana's car, and said that he had been motivated to do so just so he could see where she was and what she was doing. Lane vehemently denied that he had let the air down in her car tyres and made anonymous phone calls. The focus then turned to the meeting at the hotel. Lane claimed he and Shana had intercourse before finally ending the relationship for good. The defendant once more reiterated his revised story, wherein he claimed to have entered Shana's home to find her lifeless body. He told the jury he didn't call for help because he was in shock. Lane's defence counsel asked his client whether he had killed Shana. Lane replied simply, No. Simon Russell Flint QC inquired why, after finding Shana dead, did he go to McCall's to get his lottery ticket checked? Because I didn't want what I saw to be true, Lane responded. The defendant was questioned about the fuel he had purchased the day before Shana was killed and insisted he had bought it because he intended to take his own life. Lane described slumping into a depression that was triggered by the death of his grandfather. Lane claimed that he had gone to Shana's home that morning, quote, to go and speak to her and make sure she didn't talk to me again. As he made this comment, an audible gasp emanated from the public gallery. Lane was questioned about the CCTV footage of a person matching his appearance. He flat out denied that the person recorded withdrawing money from Shana's account was him. Under cross-examination, the prosecutor was quick to point out that the person captured on CCTV walking near Shana's home, was wearing trainers and shorts that looked remarkably similar to the trainers and shorts that Lane was wearing on the morning of August 25th, 2016. Philip Bennett's QC asked Lane whether he had stalked Shana. I suppose so, yes, the defendant said but qualified this response protesting that he had never followed Shana and only attached a tracker to her car to see where she was. Lane was forced to admit that he hid his blood-stained Lonsdale trainers in a hedgerow, but again provided further clarification, claiming that he had done so because he panicked and was scared after finding Shana dead. Lane told the court that he did not murder Shana Grice, so it was only a matter of coincidence that he found her body after she was murdered by someone else. Following Lane's testimony, the prosecution and defence offered their closing remarks. 
a judge summarised the case and the arguments presented. It would take the jury two hours to arrive at a decision. As the verdict was read aloud, the courtroom erupted in cheers as Shana's family sobbed and hugged one another. Michael Lane was found guilty of the murder of Shana Grice. The sentencing phase came next, and poignant victim personal statements were presented to highlight the immense loss that Shana's loved ones felt. Her mother Sharon criticised Sussex police for never taking Shana's report seriously. She said, We brought up Shana to respect authority and always respect the law. We firmly believe her murder could have been prevented if her fears had been listened to and taken seriously by the police. Sharon Grice described how she knew Lane was the culprit as soon as she learned her daughter had been killed. Shana's mother told the courtroom how the family had gone from a happy, confident, joyful family to one racked by grief. No parents should outlive their child, Sharon said but we will never be able to come to terms with having Shana taken from us in totally unnatural circumstances. The rest of our lives will never be the same. Announcing the sentence, Judge Mr Justice Green also criticised Sussex Police. He accused them of jumping to conclusions and stereotyping Shana. He said, there was seemingly no appreciation on the part of those investigating that a young woman in a sexual relationship with a man could at one and the same time be vulnerable and at risk of serious harm. The judge highlighted numerous aggravating factors when assessing the sentence. The significant premeditation, the combination of murder with arson, a callous theft of Shana's bank card after the killing, and the defendant's attempts to conceal the crime. The only mitigating factor was that Lane had never been previously charged with a crime. Michael Lane was handed a life sentence, with a minimum term of 25 years in prison. In the months leading up to Shana Grice's murder, Sussex police had received four complaints about Michael Lane from Shana. In a statement apologising for how the complaints had been handled, Deputy Chief Constable Bernie O'Reilly revealed that Sussex police had referred themselves to the Independent Office for Police Conduct. O'Reilly said, I would like to extend my sincere sympathies to the family and friends of Shana Grice, who was murdered by Michael Lane. When we looked at the circumstances leading to Shana's murder, we felt we may not have done the very best we could. 
within days of her murder. I personally visited Shana's family to apologise on behalf of Sussex Police, and we made a referral to the IPCC. Inspector Matt Webb from the Police Federation offered his thoughts about accountability in the case, wanting to ensure the investigation was fair to all parties involved. On the information they knew at the time, what they did and why they did it and how that is recorded and rationaled. If that's found to be at fault or found to be lacking, then of course they must be held accountable for those, those actions. But actually, they shouldn't be held accountable because of a death or because of something that happened in the future. As the IPCC investigation was underway, the Sussex Constabulary also announced they had already begun additional training for their officers, including training on how to recognise stalking. The force has made huge improvements. You know, they have a stalking improvement plan. We're getting all new recruits, get training around stalking. But what it also showed was that other forces nationally are woefully behind. They're not properly risk assessing victims. And of course, if you don't get that risk assessment right in the first place, the whole policing response that then follows in behind can be inadequate. It would be uncovered a month after Lane was sentenced that he had been reported to the police by 13 other young women. All of these claims were investigated, but not a single one resulted in a prosecution. The incidents occurred in the three years leading up to Shana Grice's murder. One victim had even been harassed by Michael Lane sporadically for over a decade. 21-year-old Ellie May from Mile Oak came forward with her story after Lane was sentenced to life. She said that Lane had been stalking her since she was just 10 years old. At the time, Lane was 17, and they had met at a camp at Hangleton Community Centre Guides Group, where Lane was part of a rangers group helping out. Ellie said she had noticed Lane staring at her. He frequently began to offer her lifts home. When the camp ended, Ellie did not see Lane again until two years later when she repeatedly saw him in his car. Initially, she thought nothing of it, but Lane then began pulling up alongside her and asking if he could drive her home. When Ellie turned 16, Lane began contacting her on Facebook and Snapchat before propositioning her for sex in exchange for money. Around the same time, Ellie noticed Lane frequently parked outside her home. He often sent her pictures of her bedroom along with crude comments. Eventually, Ellie reported Michael Lane but the police explained there was no evidence of a specific criminal offence, and regardless, the time limit of six months for legal proceedings in such cases had expired. As for the other victims that came forward, the police maintained that they did not support a prosecution, so Lane continued acting with impunity.
Sussex police were given six recommendations to improve their handling of stalking complaints. This included advancing training methods and data collection, as well as making better use of relevant information. During their investigation, the IPCC singled out 12 members of the Sussex Police Force. In 2019, the police watchdog recommended disciplinary action against six of those officers. Two would be facing gross misconduct charges. Of the remaining four other officers, three agreed to accept management advice and further training. The IPCC investigation concluded that Sussex Police's approach to investigating stalking and harassment was not consistent or effective. They also recommended 18 new training measures for the Sussex Constabulary. We're not complacent. It's going to be an ongoing process to make sure that people understand what they need to do to listen to someone who's got concerns about stalking and harassment or domestic abuse. I think this is not just Sussex police that have struggled with stalking. I think this is very true, certainly, that all the work I've done shows that forces up and down the country don't always recognise the pattern of behaviour that stalkers display. So we use an acronym now that the College of Police have adopted for. So if the um, behaviour is fixated, obsessive, unwanted, repeated, then that is stalking, and that's much easier for officers then to identify. Responding to the investigation, Shana Grice's family provided a statement in which they said that the changes were too little too late, and Sussex police should not be applauded for their improvements. Quote, Instead, we would encourage people to reflect on why they're making these changes. A young girl went to them for protection and ended up murdered in her own home by the very person she'd asked the police to protect her from. Some officers were facing a disciplinary hearing, but before the proceedings were underway, Police Constable John Barry Mills, who worked for the force for 16 years, resigned. He was facing two allegations that his conduct amounted to a breach of professional standards of behaviour. A month before Shana was killed, Mills was accused of failing to adequately investigate her allegations of harassment and stalking, failing to respond to another report of harassment and stalking made by Shana days later, and then between the 13th and 15th of July, he was accused of failing to contact Shana or update her regarding the reported incidents. Mills denied the accusations, but he was found guilty of gross misconduct. A disciplinary panel concluded that his actions may have contributed to Shana's death. The former officer had interviewed Michael Lane on March 25, 2016, and afterwards he concluded that it was Shana who was dishonest. He failed to treat her as a victim and instead warned her about wasting police time. Despite the disciplinary panel verdict, as Mills had left the force, no further action was taken. In addition to John Barry Mills, 
Former PC Trevor Godfrey, who had retired in 2017 following three decades of service, also faced a disciplinary hearing. It was alleged that he applied a stereotype, assuming that someone in a relationship would not be subjected to threats and abuse. Although Godfrey denied this, he was found guilty of misconduct and would have been fired had he still been employed. So where are we now? In the wake of the disciplinary hearings, more disturbing information regarding Michael Lane came to the fore. Six years before he killed Shana Grice, he had been arrested over claims he groomed a 14-year-old girl while volunteering as a camp leader. He was never charged or prosecuted, but the police put a marker on his record and Lane was allowed back to volunteer at the Scouts in 2015. Despite this marker, it was never taken into consideration by Sussex police after Shana reported him for stalking and harassment. Between 2006 and 2016, he targeted 11 other young girls and women, but no reports were made about the incidents. In December 2020, Shana Grice's parents launched a high court bid for a full inquest into their daughter's murder. They argued that a full, independent and focused inquiry was necessary to uncover whether her murder could have been avoided, and this would help prevent a similar thing from happening in the future. Mr Justice Graham denied their request and said that the state's obligations were satisfied by previous inquiries. Michael Lane will be eligible to apply for parole in 2042. Thank you for listening and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.